Good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us today for a special pre-Rosh Hashanah class. Uh, before anything, I'd like to dedicate our learning today, Lelui Nishmato, to uplift the neshama of Ned Shraga Ben Yitzchak Zvi. He is the husband of our dear friend, Lynn Bresler. She's the one who um, allows you guys to come into the Zoom class. She mans the boards. Um, she does it selflessly. And unfortunately, um, her husband passed on Shabbat. It was untimely and unexpected. So she can't be with us today because she's sitting Shiva, but we have to hope and pray that his neshama will have an aliyah and that she will find the strength to carry herself and her family through this very difficult time. Uh, with that, I'd like to start um, by opening Yehumashim. I'd like to go to the reference points of where Rosh Hashanah is mentioned in Torah. We're going to go to the two places first where it's mentioned, one in Sefer Vayikra, one in Sefer Bemidbar, and then we'll make our way through uh, the Pesukim and hopefully come out of it with an appreciation for uh, the blowing of the Shofar and what the um, meaning of Rosh Hashanah is. So I'm starting in Sefer Vayikra in chapter 23, for those of you who are following in the Chumashim, it's Pasuk 23. In the Stone Edition books, it's page 686. Hashem speaks to Moshe, and he says, Speak to Bnei Israel and tell them, On the seventh month, On the first day of the month, it is going to be Yelachem Shabbaton Zichron Teruah. We're going to talk a lot about these words. The day Rosh Hashanah is referenced as a Shabbaton, very close to the word Shabbat, a Shabbaton, and it's a Zichron Teruah. Many people refer to Rosh Hashanah as a day of remembrances. This could be the source for it from the word Zichron. It's attached to the word teruah, which is a blast. And we're going to have to discuss, there's a lot of discussions of what a teruah is, what sound it is. We'll talk about that as well. And then it uses these words, it's a mikra kodesh. It's a day that is uh, sanctified. There is no melacha, like on Shabbat, that might explain the Shabbaton. Kol melechet avodah, all melacha avodah. Lo ta'asu, you shall not perform Hashem, and you're going to bring the, these offerings to Hashem. So happens to be, this year works perfectly for this Pasuk, because this year, the first day of Rosh Hashanah is a Shabbat, and as such, we really only have a Zichron Teruah, we're just going to have in mind the teruah, but we're not actually going to hear the teruah. And what's beautiful is the next reference in Sefer B'midbar that we're going to hear about the shofar, maybe we should do that and then come back here, is going to be in chapter uh, 29. In the Stone Edition, it's page 894. So Sefer B'midbar, chapter 29, the first verb says, and on the seventh month, on the first day of the month, Chodesh HaShevi'i, Bechad LaChodesh, Mikra Kodesh, same thing, it's a day of Kodesh, Yihye Lachem, you're going to have, Kol Melechet Avodah Lo Ta'asu, same idea, no work, and this time they're going to call the first day of the seventh month a Yom Teruah, a day of teruah, of this blast, So in our first source, the blast is called a zichron teruah, where it's just sort of a remembrance of a teruah. 
And in our second, it's called a Yom Teruah. What's interesting as well is that in the two references for, um, for the instruction for Rosh Hashanah, the first place calls it a Zichron Teruah, and then it's Mikra Kodesh. And in the second source, it's a Mikra Kodesh, and then it's a Yom Teruah. Speaking in the simplest terms, there's a sort of chiasm taking place. There's a sort of reflective looking in the mirror from Teruah to Mikra Kodesh, Mikra Kodesh, Teruah. So something is being said here. This is not a haphazard delivering of information. The Torah is telling us something very specific. And as I said, this year it happens to be that we go from the first one, Zichron Teruah, to Sunday, which is going to be an actual Yom Teruah, the actual day where we are going to hear the blast. A few things have to happen before we could even move forward, and we have to discuss what is a Teruah. And there is a great debate in the Gemara, what sound is the Torah referring to when it uses the word Teruah? And the two prevalent uh, opinions are, one is that it is nine little sounds, like a yelala, nine broken sounds in succession. And the other uh, major opinion is that it's three broken sounds. What we call shevarim, from the word shavar, broken, is really a definition of what the teruah is. So the two opinions is that a teruah is either nine sounds or three sounds. When I use the word teruah, I'm referring to nine sounds, and when I use the word shevarim, broken, think of something broken in three places, when we use the word shevarim, it's an interpretation of what the teruah is. And what's so beautiful in uh, our history and in halakha and the way that it uh, ends up unfolding and presenting itself is since there was a debate this way or that way, the nine or the three, the beautiful compromise that they came along with is we're going to do the three and the nine. And we're not only going to do the three and the nine, which is beautiful, the way the um, seder, the order in which the shofar is going to be blown, you'll hear it in shul on Sunday, is you'll hear first a tikiah. The word tikiah means one long unbroken blast. Like one long shout, we'll call it that for a minute. After you hear that one long sound, you'll hear three sounds, then nine sounds, both versions of what a tiru'ah could be, and then it's sandwiched beautiful, beautifully with the one long sound again. Just to remember, one, three, nine, one. That's the first series. Then right after that, without any break, this is all happening at, in the same space of time, you're going to hear a long one long tiki'ah, then three, which is the shevarim, then one long again. So the three is going to be sandwiched by ones. And after that, the nine is going to be sandwiched by ones. So just to repeat, in case I lost anybody with the math of it, everything that you're going to hear is going to be sandwiched with the long tiru'ah. You're going to have the three and the nine, then just the three, then just the nine. In other words, every permutation of how the teruah could be heard is going to be accounted for here. And then we have to ask ourselves, what's with the tikiah? What does the tikiah, that long blast, what does that, why is that part of, we just read two sources that said it's a yom teruah. It's a day for broken shofar sounds, whether nine or three. 
But where does this tikiyah shine in? Where did the rabbis come up with the concept that the, the broken sounds need to be encompassed or encapsulated with a full sound? And that's where it gets very beautiful, and there are many beautiful interpretations that we could actually glean from when we're hearing these sounds. One interpretation, I believe it's a Hasidic interpretation, I found to be very beautiful, is that they compare the tikiyah, the one long unbroken sound of the shofar, they say that that's the sound of unity. It's one long unbroken sound. And then, of course, if that one sound is unity, then the tiru'ah, is actually, or shevarim, is actually plurality, or actually many pieces, if you want to see it that way. So you have the many pieces in the middle, but the only way that the many pieces could stay together or could be sustained is you need to have a blast of unity before them and a blast of unity after them. So I thought that was sounded very uh, Hasidic, Chabadnik type to me. They, they always have something beautiful to say about achdut and togetherness. So that's a, a, a piece that we could hold on to. But then the commentaries go on and say, what is the tiru'ah? What sound does the tiru'ah resemble? And the tiru'ah, I'm sorry, excuse me. I meant to say tikiyah. That one long unbroken tikiyah. What what kind of a sound is that? When we hear that in shul, what's going on in our minds? What are we thinking about? People often ask, should I be praying? Should I be asking for things? Should I be silent? Like, what should I do while that shofar is blowing? And I'm going to say, of course, all of the above. But first, let's think to ourselves. Let's get some of the uh, uh, masters. Uh, throughout the ages of how they've interpreted these sounds. So the sound of the tikiyah, the one unbroken blast of the tikiyah, if you just had to listen to it without any notions or preconceived ideas, it might sound like a very primal sound. It's actually unarticulated. There are no words to this sound. And if you want to go a little further, it might be something, a sound that hasn't yet matured. Something that's just first, maybe like like a, a, a crying out of a person who doesn't have words to express what it is that they want to say. You might want to think of possibly a newborn uh, you might want to think of somebody, and the, a lot of the commentaries say that that first tikiyah is a shouting out where the person cannot yet, they just know that there is pain or there is fear, and they don't know how to yet articulate it or how to yet uh, uh, process it or what to think of it. So this First, that first sound of the shofar sort of grabs us by surprise a little bit. That first minute of that first shofar, that first loud, long sound is maybe for us, if we start to think of it, is it's one unified sound. And maybe if you want to have a thought that helps you, you know, there's all kinds of guided imageries uh, that you could follow when you're listening to the shofar. But on the simplest level, if we can relate that that first sound is a unified sound, is one same sound from the beginning of the end, maybe we can see it as an ascent, a way that we, whether it's our thoughts, our soul, our uh, 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 emotions, whatever it is, it's something that's headed up to the place of unity. It's headed up to possibly even to Shamayim. And there are a lot of uh, commentaries who would say that this series of sounds, the long, then the broken, then the long, they call it Ratsov Vashov, meaning we are going to go all the way up, then we're going to come down to the plurality, which would be 
earth or the physical or, um, you know, where there are many different uh, uh, components. And then we're going to go back up again. And the second time we go back up after having come back down is going to be a whole different journey. So there's also a Hebrew, a phrase that's called Yerida Letzorech Aliyah. So we go up with the first sound, then we go down to the broken sounds, and then we go back up. We only come down to the broken for the sake of being able to go back up. Now, I know I'm definitely speaking, I'm hearing myself, and it's a lot of hypotheticals, and there's not something that we could actually grasp onto. So maybe I'm going to give you another pasuk, another uh, source of where we see this term, this tekiah or this teruah, I'm actually going to take you to a source that has both of them so that maybe we could start to understand what the directive is for the Rosh Hashanah holiday. So if you'll turn, please, to Sefer B'midbar, to the 10th chapter, just so we get an understanding of historically what these sounds represented back then for them, maybe we could start to understand what it is for us as well. So chapter 10, Perek 10 in B'midbar, starts in Pasuk Aleph. Hashem spoke to Moshe and he said, make for yourself two chatzotzrot. These were the silver trumpets. And they're going to be made out of beaten silver. And they are going to be used lemikra ha'eda to gather the people and also ulemasa et hamachanot for traveling. Vetakubahem you're going to have this thing called a tekiah, that one long blast, and then all of the people are going to come to Petach Ohel Moed. So let me simplify it for you. It seems to be that we're going to have this thing called tekiah, this one long blast, and what's going to be the purpose of the long blast is in order to gather all the people, I'll use the word unify, because it's a sound of unity, it's one unbroken sound, you're gonna unify the people and bring them all together to the entrance of Ohel Moed. So that's an easy, an easy way for us to look at it. Tekatem, a tekiah, a one sound, is gonna unify the people around where? What's Ohel Moed? We're going to unify the people around the unified one, Hashem. But yet, when it comes to traveling, what's going to happen? Look at verse 5. You're going to blast a teruah. And we said teruah are the broken sounds. So look how beautiful the way the camp traveled is going to depict for us what these sounds of the shofar represent. When we're all gathering around Hashem, and we're all gathering around Ohel Moed, and we're all unified before the unified God, before Hashem Echad, that's going to be tekiah. And when we're going to, and now maybe we know the terminology, when we're going to break camp, when we're going to step away from the Petach or Helmoed, because what was it when we traveled, what happened to us? We weren't traveling in one box. We literally broke up the camp. Each one had their own flag. Each one had their own color, their own sign, their own tribe. And we broke camp. But notice how the camp is broken. First, we start unified at Petach or Helmoed. Then we need the teruah, then we need the broken sounds. We each have to uh, retreat into our own tribes, into our own familial uh, groups. And then what happens? Once we rest again, once we camp again, what happens to us? We go back to tekiah. We're unified, we break camp, and we come back to a place of unity. And 
maybe if we understand what the purpose of travel was in the first place, we could start to understand the sounds of the shofar. Because in the desert, you'll notice if you track the goings-on in the Midbar, when the people were at peace, when there was no machloket, when there was no complaining, when there was no dissension, there was no traveling. The Shekhinah, the Spirit of God, stayed on Ohel Moed, and as long as the Spirit of God was on Ohel Moed, the people stayed uh, put. It was only when the people started to complain or misbehave that the Shekhinah picked itself up and said, I'm out of here. There is no Shekhinah in a place where there is machloket or immorality or any of these other things. The Shekhinah starts to move. And as soon as the Shekhinah starts to move, what did the people have to do? They had to break camp. They had to get into their separate corners, into their separate groups. They had to follow the Shekhinah, the cloud of glory, wherever it led them to in the desert, until the cloud would choose to once again remain above the Mishkan. That's when the people were able to once again come together. So if we think of it in these terms, that the breaking camp was in order to return to a place of oneness, to return a place where we could be one with the one, then all of a sudden the shivarim takes on a whole new, or the tiru'ah takes on a whole meaning. It's a process. The whole day of tiru'ah, the whole day of becoming broken is really in order, so not just so we could become whole again, and so we could return to the whole that we once were, is so that we could become a whole that's even more improved than the initial original whole. You know, when there is a, a fracture in a relationship, when that relationship is repaired, there is so much more understanding that went in, into getting those parties in the same place, in the same space, and an understanding of the minds, that the new relationship is actually stronger and better than the original one was. Because all of that uh, negotiating eventually brings us to a better place. And so here, the Shevarim, and maybe if we just want to look at it in a simple way at our own lives, the Shevarim, the fractures, the tiru'ah, the breakages. And you know, it's beautiful that some of the commentaries say it's three and some say it's nine. Because the ones who say it's nine are in the camp that believe that sometimes we have to break things into microscopic pieces in order to be able to process them. Sometimes if something just breaks into both of those pieces are too hard and too big to put together. But if you want to make a mosaic, if you want to have the pieces fit together, the smaller the pieces, the better chance you have of finding a place for them, whether it's in our hearts or whether it's in our lives. Sometimes in breaking pieces, you know, if you're uh, trying to arrange something and one big fat piece doesn't fit, you know, if you're putting something on a tray, let's say, and you can't fit one thing, but if you break it in half, now you can put one this way and one that way, and now there's more place to, 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 to bring them together. So just to reiterate in the lightest way, what we're hearing when we hear the shofar is actually a audible recap of our year, of our life, of our trajectory. We start as one. We go through life with all our multiple experiences and, and uh, uh, all the different things that take place. But in the end, we end up united again. If you want to see the shofar as a trajectory of our life, we come in with one blow. Life 
puts us through the ringer, but we always end up out. It happens for every single soul that enters the world. We come down and we go back up. That could be uh, one way to look at it. But another way to look at it is also, I think this, this to me is even more useful, is if we see the tikiah as this prolonged shout, if we see it as the sound that our innards are making, and, and, and we feel it as, as, a, as an expression that comes from within, I think the Torah is going to say the tekiah, that one long sound, needs to stop. Because if you continue with that one long sound, and you're, let's just say, we are the shout, let's say the shofar is mirroring our emotions or what we would say, if we continue to shout, then we can't hear if there's even an answer, because we're so busy making all this noise that we're not leaving room, we're not leaving a silence, we're not leaving a cold in mama, we're not leaving a space to hear this, this response. And so, I'm sorry. And so if, if this, this original tekiah, I'm sorry, I'm just gonna mute everybody, I'll mute all. If this original tekiah was allowed to continue and we only had a tekiah, we need the shevarim. And what does that mean? We need the shevarim, which means, and the shevarim is very often described as a sigh. If the tekiah is a shout, then the teruah or the shevarim are three, three breaths or nine breaths, or space to go up and down, or space, I'm gonna use the terms, to catch our breath. And so these shivarim that we might be uh, thinking about, these shivarim are here to say, you know something? I need to stop the screaming, I need to stop the crying. The crying and the shouting has to lead and lend itself to shivarim, and shivarim is an awareness, there is a pain, there is a place for all of this shouting, but also I need to let some air in, I need to allow for some breath, I need to allow for some uh, space, I need to allow for some silence, and in this silence, in the transformation from tiki'ah to shivarim, in this transformation where I realize that I am a broken vessel, you know, first it's just the shouting that I am a broken vessel. But then comes the awareness that this is my situation. And in that awareness, if I can get from one space to the other, then I can get to the place that says, what am I going to do about it? How am I going to change it? One is to cry that I'm a broken vessel and one is to recognize that I'm a broken vessel. In that recognition, that recognition, that awareness is going to lead me to do what? To go back to a tikiah, but this time the tikiah is going to be something that is unifying me. So uh, we spent a lot of time talking about the tikiah transition to tiruah and back to tikiah, but that's really what these sounds are. And they're... There's three sets of them in one group. And if the three sets of them are going to every single time end with the same sound, it's, it's sort of bringing us, whether you want to say, uh, um, to a place of wholeness, to a place where we are understanding that this is our relationship that we're going to reach, that we're going to fail and all humanity is going to fail, and ultimately I'm going to get to, to this place of tikiah. There are many, depend, again, everybody is going to reach this place every year from a different space. But if, and I'm going to take us back to the first two references, if the first reference is a zikhron teruah, then I believe the Torah is beckoning us and asking us, to first 
Zichron is memory. What is memory? It's subjective. Everybody remembers things the way they choose to remember them. That's zichron. They're remembering it in their own way. A zichron teruah is really saying this is a day where you have to do whatever you're doing is a zichron teruah, is an internal exercise. It's a zichron teruah. There's nothing, it doesn't seem from the first uh, instruction of Rosh Hashanah that anything is going on other than a memory, a journey into thoughtfulness. But in the second one, it's called a Yom Teruah. There is a call to action. So our zichronot, our remembrances, and what do we mean by we say remembrances? We, I mean, you'll hear it very often this time of year. We have to make an accounting. We have to go back and think of our year in review. We have to be honest with ourselves. All of those zichronot are for a purpose. And the purpose for those zichronot is so that we could get to this place called Yom Teruah, which is a day where we are going to hear these sounds externalized. So Saturday, when we go to shul and we go to zichron teruah, don't feel like we're missing the boat and shoot, it was a Saturday and we didn't get to hear the shofar today and we got gypped. That's not the idea. We're doing exactly what the Torah had asked us. Because during this time that we would have heard an external sound, it's an invitation for us to hear our own internal sounds, our own internal uh, 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 voices, and what we have to say for ourselves. And then by Sunday, we're able to hear this audible sound external to us. So I brought here, I had asked in the beginning, if you have a, um, a Tanakh with you, I wanted to bring you to this beautiful reference of Shofarot that I think really, I believe, encapsulates the day for us for Rosh Hashanah. And it is in Sefer Yehoshua. It is the sixth chapter of Yehoshua. Um, the Shofarot ideas are going to be, I, I think, very relevant for us today. So let's look at it together. I'm going to be reading the sixth chapter in the quickest way I know how for this purpose. The city of Yericho, now you'll remember Yericho is the first city that we are going to capture. After crossing the Jordan, we're going to send in spies. That's the story of Rachav, where she put, ties that red string on her uh, house so that people know not to destroy it. This is that story. So the city of Yericho is sogeret umesogeret. It's not just closed, it's closed and sealed shut. And of course, when we're reading about the city of Yericho, we should be thinking about our own personal human selves in these terms. Sometimes we too can be sogeret umesogeret. We can be completely closed and shut. En en You know what happens when you're completely closed, nothing comes in and nothing goes out. You know, in English, you'll hear the terms, we put up walls or we close ourselves off. This is the city of Yericho, but I really would like to suggest that the city of Yericho is only a mashal, uh, um, I can't think of the word, for... Um, um, I can't think of the word, a mashal for what we are ourselves, an analogy. So Hashem tells Yeshua, I gave Yericho in your hands, I gave you their kings, and I gave you their most mighty people. And of course, when we're reading this, we're saying to ourselves, we are the bosses of our own Yerichos. We are the bosses. We are our own kings. We get to decide what comes in, what goes out, if we want to be open, if we want to be closed. As we move on, the point of this story in chapter 6 of Yehoshua is to tell us the power of the shofarot. But I'd like for us reading it not just to see the power of the shofarot for the city of Yericho, but see ourselves as the city and what power the shofar has on us. So 
please, when we're reading into it, have that analogy in mind. You're going to encircle the city, all men of war. Um, you're going to go all around the city one time for six days. And who's going to go around the city? Seven Kohanim carrying seven Shofarot. Yovlim, the special ram's horn, that's called, the name of the animal was called a Yovel, so you're going to use that type of shofar from this animal. And on the seventh day, you're going to encircle the city seven times, and the Kohanim are going to blow their shofarot. And there's going to be a huge uh, um, focus on the number seven in this story, in this pasuk alone, it appears four times. And this is the whole story in this one pasuk. And it will be when the sound of the yovel is blasting, when you hear the sound of the shofar, I don't know if you guys are jumping out of your seats over there or not. I don't know if when you read these words, if it's recalling for us a similar instruction that Hashem had given the Jewish people at Sinai, that Moshe said, When are the people going to be allowed to go up to Har Sinai? Moshe, you're going to go up first. Nobody else is allowed to go in or come up the mountain or touch the mountain. But when they hear the sound of the Yovel, they will be allowed to come up the mountain. It starts to read as if Pasuk He is saying, God is saying, this is a second opportunity for the people to recapture what was lost at Sinai. At Sinai, we were not able to come up the mountain. We recoiled. But here now, when you're going to hear the sound of the shofar, and here's the most beautiful part of the whole thing, this word, the English may say shout, but it comes from the word teruah, it comes from this word of the people blasting and making a tiru'ah sound, a broken sound. What is? What am I even talking about? What's happening? Practically speaking, we have these seven kohanim carrying seven shofarot going around the city of Yericho one time every day for six days and on the seventh day they're going to go around for seven days very nice what does that have to do with me oh says god this is not just about the kohanim carrying the shofarot the kohanim are going to be carrying physical shofarot but you know what you guys are going to be doing and maybe this didn't happen at har sinai and maybe this needs to happen for future encounters, for future uh, uh, coming togethers with God, is the people have to play an active role. And what role do the people get? Oh, they're instructed, Yari ukol ha'am. You, people, you need to make a sound of Teruah, you need to shout from within your guts. You need to scream your lungs out, if that makes sense. You know, is it live or is it Memorex? I don't know how old you guys are, but I'll say there used to be a commercial that the sound of our voice could shatter glass. Remember that? So when it says, Yari ukol ha'am teruah gedolah, Every single person is going to make with their throats or their lungs or their mouths, I don't know exactly which part or all of the above, they're going to make this sound of a tiru'ah. So if it's a zikhron tiru'ah, then, and it's a yom tiru'ah, the yom tiru'ah, the part that we play a role in, 
is that we have to make us, I mean, don't do this in shul, they'll think you're crazy and they'll whatever, but have in mind that there was a place and there was a time where the people themselves made the sound of the teruah with their own voices. And what does that mean? Every one of us is a human shofar. What is this telling us? Yari'u kol ha'am teruah gedola. Here's the whole purpose of this, why I brought you to this part. Is because in the book of Yoshua, when the people decided that they were going to be the shofar, they weren't just going to hear the shofar, they were going to be the sound. When they decided that, what does it mean to be the sound? It means that they're going to play an active role. It means that they're going to be invested. It means that they're part of the process. Because the next few words are the whole holiday in one pasuk. V'nafla homat ha'ir. If you don't have a Tanakh in front of you, you should be crying from hearing these words. What happens when the people decide that they're going to be and make this sound, <coughs> this teruah sound, the wall of the city is going to come crumbling down. What does that mean? You know those walls, you know that city that we were in Pasuk Aleph, that city that was so geret umesogeret, and why do people shut themselves off? Why do cities, let's start with cities, it's much easier. Cities close themselves off for one reason, for protection, because they're vulnerable. When you close off a city, let's remember this, en yotzev en ba, nothing goes out and nothing comes in. There's also no room for growth. There's no way to take out the garbage, excuse my language, and there's no way to bring in fresh water. A city that so get it so get it will ultimately self-destruct. It cannot function without oxygen, without, without bringing in the good and taking out the old. That's how uh, they say the, one of the biggest problems during a siege is the garbage. There's no way to put it. What are they going to do with it? So verse 5 comes and tells us, if you find that you are closed, and we're reading about Shofar on Rosh Hashanah because it's the time that we need to open up. It's the time that we need to let the garbage out and we need to let the fresh water in. And it's saying when you're willing to be in this vulnerable place and you're willing to allow your ears to hear what your heart has to say, because I said that the teruah comes from your throat or your lungs or your mouth, but it really stems from a deeper place. If it's a true teruah, it's coming from your heart. And when your ears can hear what your heart has to say, you know what happens. It says it right here. That the walls, nafla chomat the walls of the city will come crumbling down. Which means that when is it that we're able to be in a space that's unprotected, in a space that doesn't have a wall built up around it. Who is capable of being a, an ear, a city, that doesn't have, you know from the Miraglim, for instance, when Moshe asks them, check to see, are the cities bitsurot, are they closed or they're not closed? If a city doesn't have a wall, what does it mean? It's sure of itself. It could protect itself. It's not afraid of strangers. It's not afraid of outsiders. It has a strength, and I'll use a better word, it has a security that doesn't involve walls. When we need to put walls up to protect ourselves, the selves that we're protecting are already in a vulnerable state and can't take any more uh, uh, conflict. The shofar is here to come, whether it's the external shofar that we're going to hear in shul, or whether we're going to have in mind that we are that sound, that sound is saying, when you could express your teruah, when you could express that you're broken, v'nafla chomat ha'ir.
I, I, you could go to uh, Alcoholics Anonymous and they'll tell you this on day one. What do you have to do if you want to get to recovery? Stage one, day one, you sit down in the chair and you say, my name is so-and-so, I am an alcoholic. You have to recognize your vulnerabilities. You have to, I'll use different words, recognize your shevarim. Recognize that you're broken. And when you do this and you recognize that you're vulnerable and that's why you have a wall around you, guess what happens automatically? The walls of your cities, the walls of your selves will fall down. And the people will able to go. Each uh, one uh, opposite the other one will be able to do what? As long as I have a wall in front of me, I can't be, I can't have a relationship with anybody else. I'm in my own, I'm trapped in my own walls. You know what's beautiful about the word shevarim? It actually has another definition. The shevet or the shevarim is the chair that they, the woman would sit on to give birth, the, birth, the birthing stool. So how beautiful that the word shevarim, that the breakage, we have words in English, we're going to break your water. The, the breakage is what's going to allow for new life and a new system to emerge. And that's where we are over here. So these, and I, it doesn't just say it this one time, I'm not just hanging on to this one, yari ukol ha'am. It's going to repeat it over and over. And they, they're going to say, hari'u, hari'otem. Um, I'm going to just, because there's not so much time, but the 16th pasuk says, and on the 7th, bepam hashavi'it, on the 7th time, when the priests blew their horns, Yehoshua told the people, hari'u, everybody do your teru'ah. Make your sounds. Express yourselves. Kinatan Hashem lachem et ha'ir. Hashem has given you the city. What does that mean, Hashem has given you? You are now back in control of your city. Hashem is giving you yourself to once again be the king of, to once again be in control of. It's just, for me, such a, a, a beautiful, again, and I'm just, if you're following in the Tanakh, so I don't want you to miss it, in the 20th Pasuk, Vayara ha'am, the people shouted. You know, the first time the priests blew the shofar and the people responded. And now by verse 20, the people are shouting and the Kohanim are answering them. It's back to our tekiah, Teruah, tekiah. Maybe the priest is going to start with one long sound. We're going to respond without crying. But in the end, the crying is going to take us back to a tekiah, back to a place where we are unified. And maybe when you're hearing those sounds, not all tekiahs are created equal. The first tekiah is the ideal. If we go from the ideal to the broken pieces, we can come to the second tikiyah, which is the realization. Let's use different words. Maybe the first tikiyah is a conceptualization. And the second one is the realization of that which we conceptualized at the very beginning. Same like our pesukim. First we have a zikhron teru'ah. First we're going to think about it. And then we're going to have a yom teruah. We're going to have the actual day where we are going to complete that which we gave thought to. All of these ideas are going to be what should be, hopefully, governing the day for us. I'd like to take you, I see we don't have so much time, but the Torah portions for Rosh Hashanah, (coughs) excuse me, are very beautiful. The first one we read about Sarah, where Hashem pakadet Sarah, trying to find it quickly here, it's in um, Parashat Vayera. It's, uh, you have it, you have it for me? Let's see, Hashemesh, Lord, that's, 
Here we go. It should be chapter 21 in Sefer Bereshit. Hashem pakadet Sarah. Why are we reading about Sarah, a woman who is an Akara on the day of Rosh Hashanah? And I believe the clear uh, understanding of why the rabbis in all their wisdom chose this specific point is because it's here to tell us, yes, it's going to introduce us to the whole birth of Yitzchak and the birth of Yitzchak takes us to the Akedah and the Akedah takes us to the Shofar, but that for me is a little bit long-winded. We could have picked a different reading. I think it's here to tell us that Hashem is capable in the physical world of rendering every possibility. And Sarah, who is empty, and Akara, she doesn't have a womb, she has a space that is empty, that empty space, that void is going to be filled with a child, and that child is going to give her the fulfillment of what she, what her potential, or what she felt her potential was. We're going to hear Sarah's journey and experience mirrored in the voice of Chana, which is the Haftarah for the first day. And the Haftarah that uh, emerges is actually magnificent because Chana is going to be the first one to introduce the concept of prayer, silent prayer, but it's not silent. Her lips are moving, but her voice, Kola, her voice you cannot hear. And she is she is the Teruah, she is the Shevarim, she is the broken one. Her rival wife has children, she doesn't have children, there's nothing that is going to comfort her. And she goes to Shiloh, and she goes to the Kohen, and she picks herself up, and she makes it happen. She makes a neder to God, and he gives her what he, she asks for. One of the most beautiful parts of this story is not that her prayer is answered with a child, but it's that God is going to come in and hear what she has to say. If God could hear Sada, if God could hear Chana, and he's hearing them and us in a time of shevarim, in a time of brokenness, what is that shevarim going to lead to? It's going to lead to unity, to a wholeness, to a rectification, to a, a fulfillment, to a wholeness. And Chana herself is going to use the most magnificent words to tell us. She sings a song, first of all, and she says, My, my whole heart, my, my soul, my pride, everything is wide open. It's a keren, it's a, a cornucopia. I am, I, I am small on the one side, but I am huge on the other side, meaning I am only one little chana. But like the shofar that only has that little hole on one side, it, its other end, its other opening is wide opening and way open to receiving. So what are we doing with the shofar? We're taking the tiny little space and voice and hole that God gave us and we're breathing air into it and we're breathing life into it. And what's happening with that one little breath that's going through one little hole? It is amplifying and being magnified. You could hear it in the entire shul. You know, we don't have a microphone on Yom Kippur. But one tiny little hole, not even an inch wide, a breath, one sound, if that could give us an understanding of how our prayers reach Kiseh HaKavod, how is it possible? How is it really? How is it possible that one human being is able to blow, not make a sound, just air. He's not projecting a sound and that sound is getting amplified. It's air. It's breath. It's ruhi. It's my, my breath. Breath, if you think, just if you think of the mechanics of it, we're so used to it so we don't think about it. If you think of the mechanics of it, that one person's breath going through a tiny little hole 
is able to reverberate through an entire shul or through an entire mikdash or through an entire, you, you know what kind of a sound the shofar makes. You could hear it even if you're not in the shul. If you're outside the shul, sometimes you could hear it. What is that saying? It's really symbolizing for us that our breath oriented towards Hashem, we on our end, we only see a tiny little hole and a tiny little breath. That's us. Her lips are moving. You can't even hear her voice. It's just wind. There's just air coming out of her mouth. Does anybody imagine that that little one little wisp of air coming out of our mouths when we pray is depicted in the shofar that it goes through a process where it starts in a narrow place and ends up wide and projecting and has no end off. You know, you've seen those pictures of the shofar with the dancing letters to the heavens. I mean, I don't know what kind of images you have in your head of the shofar, but just the simple physics of it should be enough for us to say, wow, I could breathe well, in a shofar. I'm a lung specialist. Oh my gosh, tell us, tell us. <laughs> So the, the amazing thing about the lungs is that they really they start out wide in your mouth and in your throat, and then the bronchus just gets narrower and narrower and narrower and narrower, narrower all the way, all the way down to the tiniest little things, but each tiny little sac is how you breathe. And actually, like, the image you should think of is like a tree upside down. A tree upside down. Oh, my gosh. So you, this is, uh, is that Jillian? It's Hannah. Oh, Hannah, Hannah, I'm sorry, Hannah. Hannah is saying in four words what took me an hour to express, which is we are designed to be human shofars. The body itself, thank you, Hannah. The, and Hannah, of course, you would comment when we're talking about the tefillah of Hannah, Hannah. The body itself is designed to go from this tiny little small space and then project into this, and, and the projection, this is the most beautiful part of it, is we can't see if or when, it's infinite. It's sound, you know, when the sound waves travel, we can't see where, where, where the ending point to that sound is. It's something that cosmic we- ripples. It's a cosmic ripple, thank you, Gail. So there are, this is what's happening. When we go to shul, and I, I know I only have a couple of minutes, but when we go to shul and we pray, we shouldn't well, think. My patient canceled. <laughs> What'd you say? My eleven o'clock patient didn't show up, so I got to hop on. Oh, thank goodness for that. Thank, thank you to your, to your patient and to you. All things happen for a reason. But I will say this: when we go into the holiday, we can't for ten seconds underestimate. Yes, the sound of the shofar is huge and it's daunting and it's exciting and it and you have the the Sa'adya Ga'on which tells us ten things we could think about that God is the king and it's time to repent and we're renewing our commitment of Sinai and there's future judgment. Think of the Akedah, think of the ingathering of the exiles. Think about trembling hearts, think of the resurrection, think of repentance, rebuilding, all these kinds of things that we could think about. But on the simplest level, if we think about the fortune that we have to have a lung specialist on the Zoom to explain to us that really, physically, the way we were designed is with this very little, narrow, tiny uh, 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 opening, and from that opening comes all sound, all life, all expression, we can't underestimate that that little sound that we're making with our prayer, how far into the heavens it's reaching, and that the sound that we make, if we're just willing to yari'u, if we're willing to admit that we're broken, if we're willing to sigh, to cry, to make a space, and in that space ask, what can I do about this? What am I able to do to change my circumstances? Or can I bring God in and ask him for help? In all of these broken pieces, in all of these shevarim, we are literally birthing. We're on the birthing stool. We're giving birth to all of these new potentials, to all of this beauty that the upcoming year, God willing, has waiting for us.
But we. Well, actually, they, they're they're both the opposite. They're opposites of each other. From a wide space to a narrow space, and from a narrow to a wide space. So, and what do you mean by and, that? And well, because the womb is wide and spacious. Oh and yes. Come through a narrow space, and actually, the baby is silent, but the mother makes noise. And for us, in our bodies, when we speak, inside our lungs is quiet. But we come from this space. We excel air and when it comes out in the world to the wider opening through our mouths that's where the sound is i i love that but i'm just going to ask if you want to tweak one piece we do start out in this wide opening in the womb and we go through the narrow space but then we come back out into the wide world and maybe this idea of passages is is there's something here that the Torah is it's like infinity right like the number eight exactly exactly like like this there is a cycle but there's also something that says you're not stuck in the shivarim it's as if the tekiah is holding up if you want to picture either a letter u or a hammock the broken pieces are being held by unity by unbroken pieces by togetherness, whether the unity is God, whether the unity is us, each other. You know, there is this whole component where when we are united and when we are unified and when we're all morally and religiously and socially connected, like at the Ohel Mo'ed, there's unity there too. The God's presence is in those places too. The tikiyah is going to be heard in those places. The teruah, the shevarim, the brokenness is a means by which we can once again achieve this wholeness, this togetherness. And whether it's of self, like we are the city of Yericho, whether we ourselves have to break down those walls and become whole again, whatever it is in our lives, at whatever stage we're in, I believe the Shofar is, is beckoning us and asking us. It says, I'm going to just use the words of Hana and end with her words. Verse 8 in Perek, Perek, one. Oh no, Pedic two. In verse eight, in Pedic two, she says, Mekim me afardal, me ashpot yadim evion, lehoshiv im nedivim, bekise kavod yanchilem, kilashem metsuke eretz, veyashet alehem tevel. In English, Mekim me afardal, he picks up the ones that are poor, that are impoverished, he picks them up from the dust. Me'ashpot, from the, from the trash, he, from the heaps, he lifts up uh, the poor people, or the ones, again, who are uh, lacking. And what does he do? He takes them from one place, and lehoshiv, he sits them down im nidivim, with the nobles. He makes them inherit a seat of honor. Why? Because Hashem's are the pillars of the earth, and upon them he sets the world. To me, this is the most beautiful thing. Hashem is saying, I'm giving you the tikiot, those pillars, those unbroken sounds, those monuments. The, anything that is broken will be held together or kept together, or protected, as long as you know that I, says God, I am those pillars. I am holding it together. I am for you, your strength. And if you know that, I was, I am, and I will be, then the shivarim that you might have in your heart are not shivarim that you have to endure by yourself. They are shivarim that have these established uh, 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 pillars, there's no better word than that, to support you. Let me be that support for you, says God. Yes. Zala. In Tashlik, Minha Metzar, that God has taken us from that narrow place 
and brought us to a, a place of Min HaMitzad, I love, I love that. So that is also, Mitzad Yam is Mitzrayim. It, it yeah. comes from, from the narrow, from the crushed, from the, right? We say when you crush the olives, you get olive oil. It's the crushing that actually allows us, whether it's the birth canal, whether it's the olive oil, whether it's the Mitzrayim, whether it's the ashpot, whether it's the dust, whether it's from the uh, um, toughest places and toughest spaces, that the God, from the broken luchot to the whole luchot, I love that we started out with whole luchot, they were broken, and then we recaptured another set of whole luchot, and the second one, the second set, the second whole luchot, those are the ones that we were involved in. And if I was going to end this with one thing, I'd say as much as Hashem is the pillars that's upholding us. Yari'u. We need to be invested. We need to add our voice. We need to add our wind. It needs to be a zikhron <clears throat> teru'ah. It needs to be a partial uh, memory experience. But at the same time, it needs to be a yom teru'ah. We still have to blast the physical shofar. We have to do the work. We have to put in the elbow grease. We have to do something physical in this whole uh, equation. And God is saying, when you bring your voice to the table, the walls will come crumbling down. You will become the king. You will be able to be uh, uh, secure and in a place where you no longer feel the vulnerabilities uh, that the world has. You'll feel this strength because I am your... I am your shield. I am your protector. We all want to get to that place. It's a process. And I hope and I pray that this Rosh Hashanah, we're able to come to that awareness. We're able to come to that openness. We're able to come to that place where the sounds that we make are genuine, are authentic, are sounds that will build ourselves up after we break down the walls, there's still the job of rebuilding. And we need to rebuild ourselves to a place and a space where we could emanate all of our energy, our tiny, don't minimize or underestimate the smallest breath of air, one little breath of air for man is one huge breath of air. If you could save a life with one breath of air, Think for a minute what Ruach Hashem gave us and how we're using that Ruach, how we're using that breath. Are we saying, are we using words that build people? Are we, are we breathing life into first ourselves, right? Like the airplane, first put the oxygen on yourself. And once we have that breath and we took down those walls, are we magnifying? Are we taking our lungs? Thank you, Hannah, for that image. I think that's the one I'm going to take with me to shul this year. Are we going to take our lungs and realize that when we expel air from our lungs, it is going to just completely expand to a place of infinity? To me, that's I, I, I'm glad I came today just for that one image. I wish you all a Shana Tova filled with health and prosperity, filled with peace, filled with intellect, making good choices for our bodies, for our minds, a year that we could let in only good things and we could expel anything that is harmful for us, a year that we could spend many, many hours together learning from each other and with each other, and a year that hopefully our collective voices will be enough to bring the Shekhinah back into our world so we will reside in a place of morality, of spirituality, and of Kedushah. Happy Amen. holiday to everybody. Amen. Amen, Vivian, that was beautiful. Thank, Thank you. you.